Today on this episode of Going Deeper, we have our second Q&A session. It's going to be a lot of fun because we're going to be answering your questions from the last five weeks. So to get it started, I'm your host, Kyle McCaskill. I'm Marie Burns. I'm Becky Clark. I'm Doug DeGraffin-Reed. Chris Winter. And we are going to jump right in with the first question I have. And this one goes back kind of a long way. We ready? Ready. (laughs) Think Moses. All right. We have to go all the way back to Moses for this one. What's with Moses sending the Levites to kill 3,000 after the golden calf incident? Doesn't sound like God ordered that. Was it a sin sacrifice or was Moses just angry? (laughs) I'm going to tell you that one came out of my small group, so I'm going to wait for the answer. (laughs) Wait. Can I I have a scripture reference, please? Yeah, was that when he, okay, that's when he goes up to the mount the first time? The golden calf. That's the golden calf. Oh, the so many bad things about that golden calf. <laughs> so many yeah. bad things. So that would be in Exodus. <laughs> Way to narrow it down, Kyle. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Exodus 32, right? Exodus 32. That's the golden calf. Mm-hmm. The golden calf. When y'all say send in questions, y'all don't say anything about scripture reference. Y'all need to mm-hmm. reference some scripture for it. I do have a scripture <laughs> reference on one of them. Okay. Oh, you do? Okay. I do. One. Okay. And a hush fell over the crowd. We gotta read it. Well, you version's still loading. <laughs> you gotta get that. Would app you up like early, to go Chris? analog? I have a, I have a book <laughs> over that app up early. <laughs> Meanwhile, our audience has left us. They have checked cut out while out. we're, cut this we're portion out looking while we... things up. Okay. I mean, I can I can tell you it doesn't say at any point. And God said to Moses, "Send the Levites." It's just Moses called up, "Who's willing to do this thing?" And it just so happened it was Levites, I believe. And they made these passes back and forth through the camp with their swords drawn and slayed a bunch of people. We were curious: is that just Moses mad? Because that doesn't sound like something. Well, well, I say it doesn't sound like something, but I mean, I guess it does sound like something God would tell them to do, but it just, it doesn't say, and God told Moses. Wouldn't it almost be a ritual act of cleansing? You're getting rid of the pagans that left their hearts back in Egypt. It's sort of like Lot's wife who turned back and looked. Mm -hmm. And you've obviously got these people that are still connected to the worship and the cultists back Mm -hmm. in Egypt. Mm -hmm. Let's just uh, get rid of this problem by getting rid of the back to Egypt committee. Okay. That makes a lot of sense to me because what's the one thing that the Israelites struggle with the most over time is getting mixed up in mm-hmm. the other the other religions and cultures of the day. They never quite get it. Yeah. Oh, Chris is leaning it, forward. Wait, it, it finally loaded. Now, <laughs> it, it, it does say here in verse twenty-seven, Moses told them, "This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says: oh, Each does? of you take your swords." Okay. So, at least Moses' words here. Okay. This is God's idea. Okay. God, God says, do, and, and so, if you go back just a little bit up on the mountain, God says, I'm going to kill them all. Mm-hmm. Moses is Moses the one that intervenes. says, hey, yeah. please don't do that. Slow down. <laughs> so, it doesn't seem to me that Moses would be jumping to this when Moses was the one who advocated for mm-hmm. uh, God to relent on the punishment. Okay. 
And Kyle, didn't we have a conversation, not necessarily about this question in our small group, but we talked about Moses's anger or God's anger. And Mm -hmm. the fact that the question was, didn't, did Moses change God's mind about Mm. what he wanted to do or, or, and just the fact of the anger of, of God in this moment. And do you, do you uh, vaguely remember us having that conversation? Because we I talked do. about the interest between mm. how God responds and then Moses comes back and it's like what you just said, Chris, like, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. Like, let's not go that far. Okay, well, and actually that leads us right into the next question I have because it's kind of tied up into this same scenario. So maybe we can try to address more of both of these. And the next one is Moses negotiated with God. Can a man change the mind of God? Abraham tried it too, but this time seems different. And you're referring to Abraham and God discussing, apparently, the destruction of Sodom, and Abraham kind of mm-hmm. works God down from, okay, this many mm-hmm. people, if I can yeah. find this many righteous people, will you relent, mm-hmm. et cetera, right. et cetera. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I think, um, so to, to look at God as, interacting within our construct of time, I think becomes very problematic. Mm -hmm. So God, at least as I see it, it isn't bound by time or or space. Mm -hmm. So when God's talking to someone like Abraham about this, it's not that God is for me changing as much as God already knows it's going to happen. But God is allowing people to play a part in the story, which God has always done, mm-hmm. which is a really neat thing. Yeah. So I, I don't know it's as much as that people change God's mind. Uh, that, that Again, that to me comes back to the nature of prayer. Mm-hmm. For me, prayer is a lot less about getting God to do something and a lot more about getting me in the place where I can see what God's already doing. So that's how I see those. And you also get this... From the Jewish mindset, God does every single thing. So all these factors for me are at play there. Okay, so this is one of the things that we talked about in Mm -hmm. small group was about can you change God's mind? I guess maybe that's part of where that that question came from, maybe in our small group. But I feel like in that conversation that we had in small group, one of the things we talked about was where Moses was when he was called by God where he needed to get to as be the as being the leader of these people and not that God was testing him but his speaking up shows a a place of growth in his own life and leadership that he would say to God hold on with what with your plan mm-hmm. so Maybe kind of connecting with what you said, Chris, there's this idea of God allowing the one who's standing in front of him to have a voice because that person needs a voice because there's he's he's hoping that that person will grow and what he's called them into. And that would be the case to some degree, I think, with Abraham and with Moses. So is it so much of God changes his mind or is it so much of allowing those people to step into a place that he needs them to be as they grow? I don't know. Well, without being in the, the mind of God, yeah. it's kind of hard to know. We'll ask him one day. Yeah. <laughs> but it does have 
ramifications, I think, on how we see things like prayer and how we approach situations when you when you look at the concept of what God wills versus what God simply allows. Because those things can take you to two very different places. Sure. Theologically and philosophically that, that really have impact on how you interpret God's relationship with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. But to go back to the cleansing, there's the Levites are the ones that are the ones that pick up the swords and half and kill the people. And the Levites, as we, the, the law continues to unfold are the ones that are doing the sacrifices and the cleansings and things like that. So there's huge validity to what you're saying, Doug. Here's one for you. Moses said today, he's talking to the Levites today, you have ordained yourself for the service of the Lord. Man, we have changed ordination services. <laughs> Aren't you glad it's not done the same way? You feel called by God to lead? Cut down 300 <laughs> with your sword. And, and God interceding uh, after the golden calf, if you read in 3230 and following, um, Moses says that perhaps I can go up and make atonement for your sin. So it's not so much changing the mind of God at this point. It's Moses acting in a priestly role on behalf of the people. Um, so, well, and and even and even the the Levites cleansing those people, while, while that's very well, it might be offensive to our sensibilities. That is an act that benefits the whole people because cleansing. Cleansing people who were sinful and who would harm the community with their sin was actually for the good of the community. And again, that's that's hard for us to wrap our mind around. And but it's that's the the idea that something happens to one person, a family, or even a small group of people. If it was better for the whole community in that culture, that was not only acceptable; that was the right thing to happen. That was the law in Leviticus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was part of the law in Leviticus is that you lived communally. Yeah. yeah. So when one did something, you didn't do it in a bubble. Mm-hmm. You affected the whole community <clears throat> to the point where there's the passage about stoning. <clears throat> yeah. Mm-hmm. And well, that was have, hard. You, you have that, that that guy Aiken who on one of their on one of their um, raids, I guess mm-hmm. he he keeps some stuff and hides it. Yep. And he Jericho. and his whole family are stoned to death. And again, for us, that's like, well, that's just horrible. That's barbaric. And how how could that be okay? Mm -hmm. But communal life was such that what one person or what family or what one tribe did affected everyone. It did. We talked about that specific incidents when we were teaching Joshua and how the ramifications of what Aiken did just echoed through really the entire book of Joshua Mm -hmm. when they see that the, the people of God can die in that battle afterwards it emboldened the other kings mm-hmm. so and it's with leviticus you started to say it and we didn't quite get there the stoning was done by the people yeah all the people everybody had to, had participate. to participate in the punishment of that person it really drives home the point that you think your sin's in secret but your sin is always found out and your sin has impact on everyone mm-hmm. and part of it was to to hopefully deter the sin too also, yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because nobody wanted to go out and pick up a stone to stone your neighbor. Nobody. I'm not volunteering for that one soon. No. So. 
right. So we're going to move on a little bit to the, uh, let's go to Elijah. This, mm -hmm. this is from 2 Samuel, so get ready. I'm going to give you 2 Samuel 5, 20 and 21. That's, that's our scripture reference for this question. The, the question is, what is the significance of them renaming a place with Baal, or as Doug says it, Baal? I was listening as part of it. Second Samuel. What? It, 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 that's Five, because it says Baal. Uh huh. It's B A A L. Yep. Yeah, I was listening. I'm glad. <laughs> so, and the context for this one is that we've learned that pagan, that Baal was a pagan god. And there were multiple Baal gods that repeatedly enticed Israel into wickedness. There are several instances where leaders of Israel, judges, and kings renamed significant locations where important events took place. Baal something. Mm -hmm. So what is the significance of that? He says 2 Samuel 5, 5 20, 20 and 21. That's not... That's not Elijah. That's not that's not Elijah. Oh, well, that's somebody. But there is David reading it. Yes. That's David. That's what I said. So that place was called <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Cuz they sound alike. <laughs> okay, repeat the question. Now that I'm there. What's the significance of them renaming a place with Baal as part of it? Baal. Mm -hmm. I mean, did that name mean something else, Doug? No, the word Baal just means Lord. Oh, well. So maybe it's something to do with the Parazim part? Parazim? Well, it, it, it's a... Good grief. We get in trouble for this. It's an editorial state. It's a northern-southern kingdom ah. written... Okay, this is why all the bad things happen. Look what uh -huh. these people did. They mm -hmm. went and named their, their town after Baal. So okay. it's a, I don't want to say it's a read back, but it's a write back in mm -hmm. the text. So, so one of the things to recognize then is that who's writing Samuel? Yeah. yeah and this, From the north or the south because it's already a time of. Yeah, and, and Samuel is post. I mean, it's post-exilic, so they've already gone into exile by the time Samuel Kings comes around and is written. Okay. So, you know, it's sort of like throwing stones from a historical distance. Mm. <laughs> names have changed, and you think other things, yeah. And the names have changed to protect the guilty. <laughs> the, the guilty, yeah. no, To make them look guilty, likely. Well, so the other thing guilty. that you get... If you want to get uncomfortable, it makes you uncomfortable. This is how much Baal or Baal or Asherah and Istarti had snuck into the culture. Mm -hmm. They The Hebrews saw them as being harmless. They were basically, it would be like worshiping 13, 13, 13. You want your crops to grow, you go worship the fertility gods. Mm -hmm. God's God, this is agriculture. Yeah. And God says, that's not how it works, y'all. Mm -hmm. So we do a very good job of this is God from 8 a.m. to 12 noon on Sunday. 
and this is my life. And it doesn't work like that. Yeah. And so that's that's really the warning we get from what the the Hebrews and their um, bent toward apostasy tell us. It was syncretism. Is that the right word? Mm-hmm. Is that the, the big word where you combine yeah. the worship of multiple of you just Yahweh throw it all and other in there. gods. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You, you got for what you for your gumbo. needs. That's right, for your needs. All right. But just to be on the safe no, side, just worship it all, and you know, yeah, so well, that's, what, that's, yeah. that's what the people did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that and, gets and to the God idol, says, no, the unknown God. This is more than a superstition. This is a transformation of your life, and um, uh, it's a total way of living. We've never gotten that in the Western Church because yeah. of the way we think. Um, they get it in the Eastern Church because it's seen as a way of life. It's the totality of existence. Mm-hmm. We've always divided our religion from our life. Yeah, which that, that has always confused me. Is, yeah. is how do you how do you have this dichotomy? It, it's it's it's, it's making f- it's functional Gnosticism mm-hmm. is what it is. What's well, making God smaller? Mm-hmm. Small enough that we can fit him into a box. Yeah, and you you get him out when you need him. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like this Jesus, but I want the light version, fewer calories. But see, this is this fewer is, demands. <laughs> yes, this is what the author of Hebrews was actually addressing mm-hmm. when they write about those who have fallen away and those who are that there's no other sacrifice. They were practicing the syncretism, and they were they were okay. Christ is the atoning sacrifice, but just in case, let me let me go to the temple and still offer the sacrifice to cover all the bases. And the author of Hebrews says, if you're looking at any other sacrifice, there is no other sacrifice than Christ. So if, if that's what you're looking at, there's no way you can experience the forgiveness of Christ because you're you're not allowing it to be your sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Those words are chilling. He's it's Hebrews 6. Mm-hmm. You need to hear the words. Yes. For it's impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened, have tasted the heavenly gift, have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, since on their own they are crucifying again the Son of God and are holding Him up to contempt. Now, the words I wanted to, the chilling words are those who have fallen away. And the church has always struggled with what happens when they come back. Hebrews says, sorry. And there, there are places where you can see literature try to get in the Bible that's the antidote to Hebrews Six, four through six, but there's no antidote. So that's what makes that so chilling. In in my early Christian life, I I really had some things that were hard for me to overcome. And there was a point in which I kind of said, okay, this, I can't live up to this Christian life. So I said, I'm, I'm done with that. And the, and those words made me feel like, well, I can't come back then because it says it's impossible. However, when I when I uh, I had a very significant experience that God used to to open my eyes and say, look, this is 
this is not where I've called you to be. I, I do want you with me. So I, I did a lot of research on that. And the conclusion that I came to was this idea that, and uh, y'all feel free to jump in. We, you know us, we will. <laughs> <laughs> this, the, the, this idea that, that um, they're not coming back with a sincere heart, trusting only Christ. They're coming back, holding on to their, their temple sacrifices. And again, mm-hmm. hedging their bets because this is written in my understanding primarily to Jewish Christians coming yeah. out of the temple system. So it's a little different, I think, than someone who says, gosh, I just don't think I can live up to this. And God's saying, yeah, well, fine. If you walk out, you, you know, you're never coming back. Thoughts? There's also a vein of this. Um, there is some scholarly attribution that, um, the writer of Hebrews at this point is talking about Christians who are falling away to avoid persecution. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And because um, it had just gotten tough. Yeah, it was tough. Yeah. to follow God. And what do we do when the persecution wanes and these people now it's safe to come back? Right. And right. and the you know this is not about having doubts about the faith. It's not about struggling with call. This is people who've made it crystal clear that their faith is a matter of convenience right. rather than a, a life-changing thing. But but this goes back all the way to the Old Testament mm-hmm. right. and how we handle the Baals. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and, and I heard I heard two pieces of scholarly advice and, and commentaries that I've read on stuff like this. One, if you are concerned about your relationship with God, that is a sign that you have not gotten into some some uncrossable area because the spirit is dealing with you. And secondly, any voice that tells you to go away from God is never the voice of God. Cause you go all the way back to the beginning when humankind sinned, God sought them out. You look at Israel's history with the Baals. God says, this is horrible. You can't do this. And yet God always pursues. I'm going to send you people. a judge to fix the problem for now and you be good the next time. But there does seem to be yeah, a point work. maybe that we can cross ourselves. We can, we can harden our own hearts so much that God warns, look, there's a point that you will cross where you won't want to come back. Mm-hmm. And that is a scary thing. Mm. Indeed. Yep. All right. So, we're going to move on, and this one is aimed squarely at Becky and Doug. Oh. And you should have known that this one was coming. You should have known. What'd you, you do wrong? Oh, no. What'd you do wrong? What did you say? Becky. Get, get the you are just as... You are just as... You ready? No. Target What's the significance of Mount Carmel? <laughs> <laughs> You should have known it was coming. <laughs> because we didn't know. That's right. Elijah, did you look it up? I haven't looked it up. No, but I... Is... Oh, gosh. Is Mount Carmel where later they go to with Joshua to, or before that they go with Joshua before they enter into the promised land. I don't remember Joshua going there ever. 
Did but you look Mount it up? Carmel has other uh, well, <laughs> Mount Carmel has other names too. So, is it also and the place where Joshua and the people went before they went to the Promised Land to recommit covenant, and therefore they were on two separate also mountains. had the sign of Garrison. covenant. Mm-hmm. They were on two separate so I don't mountains, want, was, which was circumcision. So they is, were on two separate mountains mountain? when that happened. And if it was Carmel, then it's been renamed. Mount Carmel is where Elijah meets with the bad gods. <laughs> it's, well, yeah. Uh-huh. That is the significance. <laughs> I was going to say, does it really need to be any more now significant Now it is the significance. That? I think it had significance before, but now that is the most important significance in regard mm-hmm. to what we're talking about. There was answer the question. So no, I think you're I think you're actually right. It it is um, it's there, but what makes it significant is the battle of the with the prophets of Baal. Um, and it's really pretty. Hey, Renee, it is really pretty. Just gonna plug that. Uh-huh. <laughs> it, it really I, is. Is it, it in it, Joshua? Is that the place where they go in Joshua? It, it, Not first on the front end. In Joshua. No, 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 on the front end. Oh, oh. On when, the front bef- end? Before they go into the promised land, they renew the covenant before they take Jericho. They renew covenant at Shechem. Is that where they go to ha- to to do the circumcision? I don't know. I've, so, so what this should teach y'all out there is that it's okay not to know the answer to. There's a, a lot of mountains <laughs> and valleys. And, well, and Garrison was. I've got a. And a lot of them are renamed multiple times too. Right. <laughs> I've got a theory. Do I, you know the answer? I, I don't know that. Um, Just it, guess. It, it's it's named. Maybe not because it as a particular mountain has inherent significance, but but the ancient Canaanites, they viewed high places as sacred pla- places to meet with their God. And obviously in the Hebrew Insolence. history, right, uh-huh. mm-hmm. in the Hebrew history, meeting with God on the mountain was a big thing. So if you're going to have a showdown with the pagan gods and the one true God, what better place to have, what more decisive place to have it than at a high place. I mean, the place that both groups view as the place to meet with God. So neither God, quote unquote, has the advantage and the winner is the true God. And maybe it's named because it's it hosts that. Maybe the battle gives it its significance and that's why it's named. It, something that significant wouldn't happen at a random place where they would just not not name it. That's my theory. Mm-hmm. Covenant renewal was uh, Shechem between Mount Ebal and Gerizim. That's up north, so it's or not up north, but further north than Jericho. Um, this is why maps are important in your Bible. Mm-hmm. This is why that is exactly what I'm looking at. Yeah. Okay. So this short it's answer is Kyle. Is they still don't know. They still don't know. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no. It, 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 it and is. We the, admit it. it is the battle that makes it significant. There's no. Yeah. There is a battle in Joshua, <clears throat> and my notes say chapter 19 in the book of Joshua. Yeah. It's yes. it's not not significant until chapter 19 is the Elijah does this. Oh, it's just included in there. Yeah. Yeah. So Elijah does the awesome thing. He does the so and that's awesome That's really thing. what. Yeah. I mean, does it need to be any bigger than that? Fire from heaven. 
I know. It's kind of cool. Yeah. That's well, good. All, all that's cool, but I, I actually prefer um, Elijah's taunts to them. Yeah. <laughs> Scream louder. Maybe your God's in the bathroom and can't yes. uh-huh. On the that's, that's definitely that passage of scripture is one of those that just doesn't translate well to English. It doesn't translate the mm-hmm. right way. Mm-hmm. And you really miss there there in are the places English, the goodness in the Old that. Testament where the where the English translators wimp out. Mm-hmm. Where they don't oh, yeah. they, sure. they try yeah. to flower up certain things that are uh-huh. just like Wow, you really said that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like Paul saying, you know, I, I count it all as rubbish. Yes. <laughs> rubbish. <laughs> Our righteousness is as rubbish. filthy rags. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look that one up. <laughs> yeah, it's not like an oil cloth from the garage. No. no. <laughs> all right, so we, we've, we've we settled. Flunked, we flunked geography. We <laughs> Doug, Doug flunked it. geology. Has had more time to memorize all of the mountains and all of their significance. I, I was, I've been, I'm so old, I was there when they were hills. <laughs> all right, so moving on from the comedy section of the QA. Oh boy. So, For those of you still with us, <laughs> right. right. So this one should be a little more easy to digest uh, because I think it's a. It's something that's a little easier to answer. What what point in David's life did he write his psalms? Because my understanding is that David did not write all of the psalms, but many of them are attributed to David. And at what point in his life did he write them? He wrote about 70 of them, mm-hmm. from what I understand. Oh, and we read one in particular, uh, Psalm 51. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> which we can pretty well nail down when he wrote that one. But then there's a bunch of others. So I think that the question is trying to get at, is this something that he just sat down and had a songwriting session one day, or are these things that just over the course of his life, even when he was maybe a shepherd boy, he was writing songs kind of all through his life? I I think they're all through his life. Um, it'd be like asking when did Charles Wesley write all his mm-hmm. hymns? So, the answer is yes. Yeah. So he he just he was one of those guys that he was a lyricist. Yeah. And he just wrote and wrote. It was one of the ways that he expressed his his relationship with God. From a young age, I mean, he plays instrument he's too, so instrument. he is a he sued Saul with his uh-huh, instrument that's right. playing yeah we don't talk about that very well I think we all forget that pretty easily yeah. like they knew each other and he would play for Saul often calm him, calm him down that's mm-hmm. right so he was a musician yeah okay so I guess it's a natural ability I told you I, I lobbed up a difficult one and that one was easy and now here, we're, we're going to cap it off with one. No, no, no. Before we do. No? Okay, fine. In my cultural Bible. <laughs> She's bragging. She's going back to Mount Carmel. Yes. <laughs> I am. That's what they call a flex. Okay. <laughs> but all, all this says is that it's over 500 meters above the Mediterranean Sea. So it's a perfect landmark for seafarers and travelers. It's most the most lush and green region and mountain area it is and, very lush and um, green. yes and so it was the perfect location for religious and cultural showdown because you could 
you could see it so far and because of just the importance of, I mean, the, the beautifulness, whatever. And so it is quite right. it's a perfect place to meet. So quick plug here. Beat because. Me <laughs> <laughs> Beat me to it. I'll, I'll let you since you're resisting the email. Well, so if you would like to see Mount Carmel for yourself, we will be going there specifically when we take our trip in March of next of 2022. And if you have questions about the trip, I would love to answer them for you. You can email me, mburns at trinityruston.org. This episode brought to you by is, uh, Trinity's Israel Trip. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. I, I will say, reading these things, you don't really fully grasp the, the fullness of what is happening here. Mm-hmm. But when you walk in these places and you look out, because there's a lookout section at Mount Carmel, uh-huh. yep. and you can see, as oh, long as it's gosh. not too hazy, miles. you can see yep. for miles, not mm-hmm. four miles, but It for goes miles. on and on and on. <laughs> yep. And it mm-hmm. just is absolutely beautiful. So I'm going to just, I'll say this right now, next year, whenever it's time for us to go to the Holy Land, most of us are going to be the there. The office is going to be <laughs> right So you might as well go with us, too. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever wanted to go to the Holy Land with Marie and Becky and Doug and Chris? I mean, what they, could be better? They may not want to go with all of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're watching this. It's going to be amazing. All right, so back on track. I feel like this one, this one is going to take a more educated mind. I'm looking over at the two pastors. Oh yeah, here it's not me. To, to really answer this one. Because I got nothing on this one. Who is Lady Wisdom in the Proverbs? I remember you asked that one before. I have a very short answer. Uh Simply a personification to show how virtuous and beautiful and how complimentary to your life wisdom is. So where where specifically is Lady Wisdom mentioned? Does somebody have that? In Proverbs, in the first In the first four chapters, really, Solomon goes on and on about why wisdom is important. And Mm -hmm. and, I mean, it's it's a really long section of Mm -hmm. just wisdom is good. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's the gist of it. But it's she'll do this for you and she'll do that and listen to her call, etc. Which, again, I think it's just a personification. It's it's poetic language Mm -hmm. just to say wisdom is so beneficial and so necessary we're going to bring it to life. Mm-hmm. Give me a give me a verse that it's in, please. Pulls out his handy. This was Marie's phone. question. It was. The question's much longer than that. You cut me short. It is. Okay, so I'll read the rest of it. And okay, let me preface it as when I dug in a little bit, there are lots of theories that include uh, Lady Wisdom is Jesus. So Is it a personification of a characteristic of God? Is she Jesus? Well, and I was going to look it up because someplace crouched or stored in my old memory is that in the Septuagint they use logos for wisdom. Okay. And so you have wisdom appearing again in John 1 1. Mm-hmm. And so you can. Um, 
You can say it is a personification of that which uh, keeps us out of trouble. You can say it's Jesus. You can say it is this divine word, and you probably would be correct. But so, I, I need to see the Septuagint to to see specifically did they use Logos or did they use Sophia. So uh, just to answer the question before it gets asked. It's a metaphor. It's not no, literal. Not that oh, one. That, that, I'm sorry. <laughs> different question. That's okay. Uh, because I imagine many people may not know what the Septuagint is. It is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Pretty plain and simple. Yes. So, there. You're welcome. My <laughs> translation doesn't use this translation doesn't use lady wisdom but in like proverbs chapter 1 verse 20 out in yeah. the open wisdom calls aloud she raises her voice in the public square if you you were looking for okay. a scripture reference uh, it's a, it's different scriptures. it's a different interpretation that will mm -hmm. call her specifically lady wisdom but you want to look at the original Greek of it. So I, want, to, I wanted to, to see how they handled they, it. But so there's where they really I go look, I go look it up in my office later as I look up Mount Carmel. <laughs> but yes, it, it definitely seems to be a theme that wisdom mm -hmm. is personified. Mm -hmm. and, and it is just a personification of, I guess, that trait of God. Well, as a, as a married man, it just means I should listen to my wife because she knows oh, what I need. Good answer. That's that's a pretty good answer. That is the I'm true. not going to argue with that, <laughs> that one. That is the true answer. <laughs> that is the true answer. You, you affirm that. That's the testimony of two or more right, witnesses. Right. answer. Good job. All right. Well, that's all the questions I have for today. Uh, does anybody have anything else they want to add? Hmm. Doug is just sitting there saying, please let me out. Let me out. <laughs> no, this is... Um, you have homework. Obviously, our Q&As are separated from our actual reading and studying mm -hmm. because, yeah. <laughs> some of us have... You don't have all this memorized, Doug? Uh, some of it is floating around <laughs> in my memory, but the problem is that somebody pushed the on button to the blender and it's all... <laughs> blended together now and okay, so, separated. So something that we're going to do to try to encourage more questions to come out, send your questions to askgoingdeeper at gmail.com. I almost said Trinity Rustin. <laughs> askgoingdeeper at gmail.com. Doug, I want you to hold up your coffee cup there for us to see. I don't want you to show it. Okay. So. But what about people who are listening? They can't see Okay. It. Doug is holding up. <laughs> His Trinity coffee mug, campfire-style campfire coffee mug. They're beautiful. I might be biased. I did happen to design the logo. Kyle, where could I get one of those? You want to know where you can get one? But wait, there's more. Here's what you can do. We will take the names of everybody who submits a question for our next Q&A. And we'll pick one name, and you will get your very own Trinity mug. There. We're going to have a giveaway. I We've love this. Giveaway. Somebody in my small group is going to get a mug. All right. Okay, so for real, y'all have, have to start asking questions if you're not in Marie's small group because if you don't, our whole small group is going to end up with these mugs and you won't get one. It's because we're awesome. 
You're also welcome to join us. <laughs> so send your questions to askgoingdeeper at gmail.com. Listen to the podcast, subscribe, all that fun stuff. Give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Thumbs up, comments, all those great things. We enjoy all the interaction that we get, whether it's tough questions, easy questions, or just comments that you send us. We love it. So that ends our Q&A session for today. Does anybody have any parting words before we close it down? Nope. Crickets. <laughs> I just like that we all turned to Doug. Every one of us turned to Doug. No, Chris turned to Doug. <laughs> Everybody looked at Doug. Doug is what famous. What you got, Doug? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm hoping for the edit button. Uh, nope. Um, no chance. Anytime somebody says edit, that means it's probably going to stay in. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all for listening. Enjoy the ride. And we will see you all next week as we move into the New Testament. 